Thank you. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Now that it's almost 8.30, it's the preacher's turn. Five minutes left, and then we'll... It's all because of Brother Cordry. I kept clapping for him. <laughs> ben, did you hear what I just said? Okay. Second Peter chapter number one, we're beginning to read at verse number four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, add to virtue knowledge, Add to, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence, uh, brother, give, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Father, thank you for the Bible. Help us please to not just stare, to drift in our mind, but purpose in our mind and heart to try to understand more perfectly the Word of God, especially concerning these things. Because the great and precious promises in this section that you said can be had are absolutely amazing, unbelievable almost, had you not said it. So help us please to pay attention, to get a hold of this. May I be of help to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Diligence, uh, going over a couple of notes here. Hurry up and do it right. Be diligent, right? Do it right, but do it, do it right and do it fast as you can do it right. This is what diligence is. Then he said add. Add means bring alongside. It doesn't mean to replace. It doesn't mean to supplant. So when he said give all diligence, add Bring it up alongside. Bring it up alongside what? Faith. Add to your faith. That's what he said. So I have to have faith. Faith is the beginning and substance of everything that we talk about in the Bible. So he said, add, bring alongside. Don't replace it. Faith. Faith is not just belief. I believe that. I believe that. I believe. That's not what faith is. That is belief. Faith is, as we've discussed before, is the action upon the word of God in spite of doubt. God said this, I have no idea how this is going to work. 
I cannot prove this. I just know God said it. I'm going to do it. Example, uh, Joshua and the children of Israel with Jericho. Most ridiculous story you read anywhere. How a bunch of people can march around a city. At that time, you could ride two and three chariots across the top of there. And that's how big this city was. And yet it fell down flat. They didn't, they didn't throw a spear. They didn't shoot a bow, an arrow, nothing. And that's ridiculous. You know who told them to do that? God did. They had to trust in spite of whatever doubt they had. Just do what God said. And God is responsible for the outcome. And sure enough, you won't believe this. You won't believe it. Guess what happened? It worked. Okay, now. So faith is the basis and foundation of all things. It all starts with faith. Everything else we talk about is useless if we do not believe what God said in his word and trust that. It's all worthless. Doesn't mean a thing. Okay? So he said, what do you want to start with by adding to your faith? So we're going to start with faith. Everything else you're going to bring up alongside of that. Okay? You're going to bring it right up alongside there. The next thing he talked about, add to your faith, is virtue. Virtue is a manly characteristic quality. Morally, a person has to be like what a man used to be. Or some people still are. But it's just quality, character, godliness. Keep my word. Stay at it. Don't quit. Follow through. This is what he's talking about. Virtue. Now we talked about the Lord and the woman that touched the hem of his garment. That's talking about power that left God. Not talking about that kind of virtue. Talking about the kind of virtue that when a man find a virtuous woman, quality, character, godly, the way God designs. Same thing here, except it's talking about a manly quality. Then we talked about uh, knowledge, gnosko. Remember that? Gnosko is not I have learned, but I am learning. So even at my age, or as old as Brother Usher is, good to have you here tonight. Brother Dan's not here, so it's me and you, buddy. Still learning, still learning. What uh, in particular here is talking about still learning about people. You'll not find a better book in the world that can teach you about people more than the Bible. You go to the book of Proverbs and it'll tell you about the wise man. It'll tell you about the foolish man, the simple man. Uh, It'll tell you about all these different types of people. So if you want to know what kind of person you are, I know what you do. Like, I know a guy like that. I know a woman like that. No, it's talking about you. Okay. You'll find you in there or it'll find you in there what you could be. And so this is what he's talking about here. Knowledge is gnosko. It has to do with learning about people. You should always be learning about people. It didn't say criticize. This ain't be critical. It says learn about them. Right. Hmm. Okay, I know why they're doing that. And well, that does. Yeah, I can see that here. I'm learning. I'm still learning about people. Uh, some people pride themselves on learning how to read people. I find out also a lot of people who think they're real good at reading people misread people. Right. Especially wives with their husbands. I know what he's thinking. I hear that all the time. Really? That's pretty amazing. I thought the only person who could do that was God. But anyway, and then he said temperance. Add to knowledge temperance. Now, temperance is a fruit of the Spirit, we find out in Galatians, right? And so what happens here is outward action of self-control. So when we get to temperance, it's like tempering a piece of metal. Bring it to its full strength. So what happens is when it talks about temperance, it's talking about you. Not making other people do what they're supposed to do. Making you do what is right to do. Not what you think is right. What, you know, you ever, you ever look at this, that a lot of times what I think is right, God said, no, I don't want you to handle it that way. Right? Like getting even. God said, no, 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 no. You, you leave that up to me. Yeah, but if, if I don't do it, who, God will. 
And we have to learn how to trust God. Example, I have been attacked and I want to retaliate. You've never done that, so I'll talk about me. I've wanted to get even. I wanted to hurt somebody in return. You've never been that way. I've been that way. I know people down the street are that way. Now, I will restrain myself because I am supposed to. I will because I'm supposed to. Now, who cares? Well, in case you want these great promises here, this is one of those, these things that have to be in you and abound, overflowing. When it says abound, it means to overflowing. In other words, I think they are that way. No, it's obvious, overflowing. And so I will restrain myself because I'm supposed to. It is in me and my heart to retaliate. It's in all of us to do that. You hurt me, you hurt mine, I'm going to make you pay. That's in all of us. So why is it some people don't? It's not because they're cowardice or they're afraid or they don't know what to do. They do not want to not do what God says. In order to do that, I have to temper myself. God gives me the power to do that. Okay, Temperance is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The only way you can get full control of that is fully yield to Him. This is not something you can do. You'll add this by yielding to him. Galatians, okay, chapter number, whatever chapter that is now. Watch what it said. If, if, if it is in my heart to retaliate, I want to set them straight. You ever do that? I've even had people say, preacher, you know what they're talking about you on the internet? No, I don't until you said something. And uh, what, don't you want to set them straight? No. That's not my job. Besides that, gossip is never meant to get to the end of all you're doing is throwing more logs on the fire and keep saying, why does it keep burning? Because you keep adding logs to the fire. Well, I'll tell them they're not right. Oh, really? Okay. So you tell them, they go, I never said that. I didn't use the word is, and you did, so therefore it's different. And it just goes on and on forever. So as long as you keep throwing logs on it, it's just going to keep burning, and you'll just keep complaining on why it won't go out and stop. It is when you have the power, you have the right, you have the desire, you have the facts, the Bible says Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. You know what meekness is? The, the best uh, uh, definition I've ever heard of that? Power under control. The right. He had the right. God even said, I'm going to destroy all these people and start over with you. All Moses had to do is say, I think that's a great idea. <clears throat> but he didn't. He controlled himself and said, God, your name's on the line. You chose these people. Please don't do that. See, he was controlling himself. And then another time he lost his temper. You remember that? He lost his temper, temper, right? Temperance. So we find out here that it, I have the power. I, ha- I have you dead to rights. I could prove this and destroy you. First of all, why would a Christian do that? I'll tell you why. Because their flesh is out of control. Your flesh is out. There is no other excuse for it. You don't have a good excuse for getting even with somebody. You don't have a good excuse. You say, they hurt me. That part I understand. Well, they destroyed my life. That part I understand too. But you need to be have temperance. And that you're only going to get that by yielding. However, it happens to be one of these things also. And then we talked about patience. Remember patience and long-suffering? Anybody still remember that? I know it was a long time ago, like last week on Thursday or something. Endur- patience is enduring pain and hurt caused by what? Circumstances. You know, a lot of drugs or something, right? Uh, has to do with circumstances. And remember, the Lord sends circumstances to change us, right? 
So the first thing we pray about is, God, please take these circumstances away. No, you need patience. Patience is one of these things that has to be in your life. Anybody can help me? What brings patience in a person's life? Tribulation. Tribulation worketh patience. Who would honestly vote for tribulation? Not me. But God said it is a part of the Christian life. If you do not learn how to suffer circumstances and patiently go forward and do it because it's right, you'll never, never, never have these things in your life. Now you go like, I think I'm a patient person. You mean when everything's going right? A drunkard could do that. Anybody could do that. It's when you're under the pressure. It's when you're, when you're, when you're under pain and hurt caused by circumstances you're going to be okay. Here's the hard one, long-suffering. Long-suffering is actually has a better quality, in my opinion, has a better quality to it than patience. But in this list, long-suffering is not one of those. However, patience is. Long-suffering is enduring, look at me, is enduring pain and heartache caused by people. Our ministry is full of people. Long-suffering. People. You and Corey ought to get together and discuss some of this stuff. Long-suffering only comes when you yield to the Holy Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. So you can't manufacture it. You can talk about it. You can even try to fake it. But when the pressure comes on, when the hurt is there, when somebody has just basically punched your lights out, you're going to come out swinging. Yeah, we almost say that like a product. Yeah, you bet I will. Uh, That's not good, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, isn't that God with us? Okay, so there we go. Now, so what happens here, you yield to the Holy Spirit. It's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. He produces this in your life only as you yield to him. Walk in the Spirit means do what, go the direction he wants. Do what he says. Follow his lead. Do it that way. In order to do that, you cannot be involved. You cannot do what you want and be filled with Spirit. You cannot be filled with you and him. You cannot be partially you and three-quarters him. That's not filled with the Spirit. Does it make sense? Field? Okay, good. So then he, he goes on. He says, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. Why would one work so hard to put all this stuff in their life? Because of the promises. We're after these promises. These things, he said, if these be in you, these things are yours. So I got to know for sure what, what is meant by these things. I, wanted, I don't want to misunderstand. I don't want to think that I'm, long, I'm after long suffering when he said patience. I don't want to mix that up. I want to make sure I have it right. Because of these six wonderful, almost unbelievable promises that God gives you, but he said prerequisite, diligence, they need to be in you and abounding. Okay, you can't play around with this. Don't have all your lifetime to do this. Got to get with the program. Come on, let's go with it. However, diligently, only as quickly as you can do it right. Can't just throw stuff together haphazard. Has to be in order. Add to faith. Add to virtue. Add to knowledge. Add to vir- it all has to be in order. One is added to the other. Bring up alongside. Not okay. Well, I got this, but I don't have that. Then you're not building right. So God wants it that way. So in verse number eight, they have to be in you and abound. And if they do, in verse number eight, you'll always be useful. Uh, it hurts me in my heart for to watch Christians. Uh, that at one time were so useful for God. Yes. Amen. Yeah. I'm not just talking about people outside. I'm talking about people sitting in churches. Yes. It's not that you're not of any use. You've taken yourself out. 
Tonight in our prayer service alone, there was all kinds of things you could get involved in. All kinds of things. Helps everywhere. Needs everywhere. Need fillers is something. But you see, that's not something. We don't give out titles. Need filler. We don't do that. It is something you do because it's needed. So always be useful in verse number eight. Verse number eight also always have what kind of success? Good success. Not just success. A lot of people in the world are successful. But God qualifies or quantifies what good success is. And that's what we want. So these are the promises. If we have these things in us and they abound and we're diligent to add them to our life. And then in verse number nine, you can see more clearly the will of God for you. See, there's the universal will of God, and then there's the personal will of God. Where we get confused, first of all, most people don't know the timeline of God, but that's another story, is our own personal. What, God, what do you want from me? What am I supposed to be doing in this area or that area? If you've been walking with God, if you know his book, if you yield to him, if these things be in you, he said, you, you'll, you'll be able to see it. You'll know it when you get there. A lot of people, they just walk on until they walk right into a wall and go, how was I supposed to know? You have, no, you have no understanding, no discernment, no wisdom. And because of that, you cannot see clearly God's will for your life. And then verse 10, this is the most amazing one here. Never fall. By the way, he didn't say trip. He didn't even say stumble. Fall here means you're done. Not getting back up. I've had it. I'm calling it quits. With these things in your life, first of all, think about all these great things. Why would you quit if these great things are in you? It just almost makes sense, right? Uh, it's like I can't pay my bills and you got a million dollars in the bank. Why? Go pay your bills. The same, not the same thing here. I know that's very worldly. But here he's saying, look, you'll never fall. Who would not want this? So why would I not go diligently after putting these things in my life? If it was just that one promise, I would want that. And so then he goes on in verse number 11, always possess a measure of happiness, eternal happiness. Not happiness like, uh, hey, I got a new bicycle and I'm real happy. Not that kind of stuff. That's almost happenstance. We're talking about heavenly type of joy, happiness. You've seen Christians, I I know you have, uh, I hope maybe you're one of them, that you're going through a great amount of heartache. You're not just enduring it. You're not just not quitting. You're actually, it's going to be okay. You ever seen people like that? It almost makes you stop and wonder, what, what's, how do you do that? How, how are you able to, I mean, aren't you hurting? Well, yeah. Brother Usher's that way. I go back there and I stand and talk to him, not because I like him. I need encouragement. So I go back there and give him a hug and kiss him on the cheek and, you know, talk to him for a few moments because I need help. So I go back, quiet. He, he's never down. I've I never known him to be down. His wife, she, she can get upset with me. She's done that before. Oh, she's listening, right? Hi, Marie. Love you. God bless you. Amen. You remember that? Oh, there we go. Now, so always possess a measure of eternal happiness in verse number 11. And in verse number 12, never change. This is what we're seeing all over Christianity right now. People changing all the time, changing, trying to hurry and find answers and find how to get ahead, how to get around this and how to do that, changing from time to time. God's word does not change. So when we're constant changing, I'm talking about direction. I'm talking about what God says to do. I'm not talking about improvement. Improvement would be like me cleaning my car and changing oil. Same car. I've improved it. Same car. Not going anywhere. You understand? And so what happens here, he said, you need to be diligent. So we need to add these things diligently. 
Now, come on, let's get with the pro. You say, well, you know, when I retire. No, no, God said, you got to do it now. got to hurry up. Now, you can't just throw things together. you got to do it the way he said to do it. It's got to be lined up this way. This adds to this, okay, just like that. Got to make sure I understand what these things are. That's why we're talking about them tonight. So let's talk about godliness. We're not going to get through all this, but we'll get through as much as we can. I'm tired. Okay. Godliness, I hate to do this. It's two Greek words. Sometimes all you got to do is go to your Strong's Concordance. You can look it up. It doesn't mean you're super smart. You just know where to get the information. Oh, I'm sorry. Forget the books. Just go to your iPhone or iWatch or, you know, go something. Yeah. I like, to, I like to tell people I looked it up and I researched it. I studied it out. I didn't just have somebody tell me. I studied it out. It's, that's me. That's what I like to do. So godliness has two Greek words, and here they are. One is E. It starts this way, E-U, which is pronounced E-O-O, two long O's, yo. Yo, okay? And the next part of that is it's uh, sabaya, I think, is the way you pronounce it. So it's you sabaya. What that means is simply this. You means well, and sabaya means devoted or devout. So it means well devoted, devoted well. Now, hold on a second. Godliness in our text is well devout or devoted or good devotion. Many times you'll see before that word theos, which means God which means devoted to God. That's not what our term means. This is why you have to study out. If I'm going to make sure I've got the right kind of godliness, he's not talking about a devotion. If, if it was, it would have theos before the uh, sabaya, but that's not what it means because it's not there. The word actually is eu before the other part of that Greek word, which means a devotion to others the way God wants you to be. A devotion to others the way God would want you to be. Not a devotion to God. A devotion to others because it's not, it's not theos. That's not even in there. That's part of the Bible. I'm not saying it's not biblical. I'm saying we're trying to get these things down. And here he's talking about, when it's talking about godliness here, he's talking about you acting a certain way and behaving a certain way to others the way God would want you to. So it's a godly devotion, but it's to others. Yeah. It's not a devotion to God. Right. You understand the difference here? Let me, let me go on and explain here if I can. In Greek, theos is not a part of the meaning of godliness in this, in this, in this uh, passage right here. Godliness in our text is not speaking of a good devotion towards God. It means having a devotion pleasing to God, not toward God. In other words, the way that I'm going to treat and behave towards other people, is that okay with you? Am I doing it right? So it has to do with God, it has to do here, but it's godly. It's not just the way I think. It has to do with God. Godliness in our text is a devotion pleasing to God. Let me explain. God is not pleased no matter how devoted you are if you're fully devoted to hockey. I'm devoted. But it's not a godly devotion. Uh, baseball, same way. Any, any sport, anything. NASCAR. I'm not sure who. NASCAR. Anybody? Hillbillies in here? Okay. It, do, it does not please God if you are devoted, if you devoted yourself to becoming a rich man. 
It's not talking about that kind of devotion. And God's not pleased with that. If you want those six promises, you have to have the kind of devotion and godliness that he's talking about here. And so what? if you want those six promises, you must add to your life life pleasing to God. Not to God, but I'm living pleasing to God with other people. So I'd ask you, just in passing, is everything in your life, the way you're living, pleasing to God? You have devoted a God life to others. Not I'm devoted to God. That's not that kind of godliness. That's not what he's talking about here. Now follow me. The word godliness here, a devotion pleasing to God, is used and applied to several people. So let me give you an example of what he's talking about here. For example, parents. Children with their parents. Do you know why most teenagers will never have these promises in their life? Because they do not have a devotion pleasing to God towards their parents. It's not, I love God. I can't stand you. That's not what he's talking about. People have a lot of devotion to a lot of different things. But in this particular case, he's talking about a devotion to that's pleasing to God. Not a devotion to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me go on and explain. You need to understand this Eusebio, however you pronounce that, this godliness is not speaking of a pure life and a spotless life. That's not what he's talking about. Though that is taught in the Bible, this particular type of godliness is a good devotion that pleases God. So I have a devotion towards my parents that's pleasing to God. We're talking about husband and wife here in just a moment, which is really going to catch the church down the street. One area, it is spoken of devotion towards parents. So this thing about standing for your rights, I disagree with my mom, I don't care what my dad just said, I'll do what I want to do. Everything we've been talking about so far, forget it, doesn't belong to you. Saved or not, it's not yours. Because these promises only belong to people who have these things in their life and abounding. And one of these is a godliness. It's not a I'm living godly to God. No, I'm living a devoted life to others in a godly fashion, the way God would be pleased. You understand? Okay, so what are we talking about here? By the way, I think this is the explanation on why so many teenagers can't seem to know the will of God for their life. I'm not against you coming and asking for advice. I think that's very biblical. But when asked certain questions, I can't believe how confused even young adults are anymore about what God would have them to do. As though God cannot lead and guide anymore. I think the problem is maybe here. I think teenagers run. They can't seem to see the will of God for their life. They're always changing, trying to figure out what to do all the time. Their lives are shipwrecked. There's no happiness there. They're not being used. They do not have good success. And they blame it all on Christianity. It's not Christianity's the fault. The fault is us. Because we're not diligent. Diligent didn't mean when I become an adult, I'm going to try this. No. Serve thy creator in the days of thy youth. Now's the time to start getting this stuff down. We're waiting way too long. And because of that, we do not have a good devoted life to our parents. Look, it's not optional whether you want to obey your parents or not. The Bible says, children, obey your parents, for this is right in the sight of the Lord. That, that's it. That's it. Well, what if I don't? Stop. That's your flesh rebelling against the word of God. 
Anything God says is what God wants. Anything other than that, let God be true and every man a liar. The reason that teenagers today, they can't figure out what direction they should go. They have no discernment whatsoever. They don't know the will of God for their life. They're not sure what they should do next. They're running around like a chicken with their legs cut off trying to figure out what to do next. All they're doing is running into walls and blaming everybody but themselves for the problem. One of it is you go against parents and it's your parents, whether you like them or not, which is a sin if you don't. It's not optional. God wants you to have a devotion toward your parents. It's not a devotion to God. It's a devotion pleasing to God. So you may be the best bus worker we have. You may be the best soul winner we have. You may read your Bible through 40 times and everybody else is still on their half time through. You say, I'm very devoted to God. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a life pleasing to God in my devotion to what I'm supposed to be devoted to for God. Parents are one of those people. You cannot claim these promises if you do not have this kind of devotion. Grandparents, same thing. Grandparents are great people. Now, personally, I think most of them are way too patient. That's why I don't think grandparents are supposed to be raising kids. I think when you're younger... Mom doesn't know what to do, so she gives in almost everything. Dad, he can't hardly stand kids to begin with, so he beats a tar out of them, makes them sit down and shut up the rest of their life. And so between them, it's kind of a balance or something like that, okay? Grandparents, it's like, you want another cookie? Sure, that's fine. I don't worry about it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you want to watch another movie? We can do that. Oh, you want to go outside and wreck the furniture? Help yourself. That's no big deal. We'll get more. That's what grandparents do, okay? I can't. I can't. Are those the same people that raised children before? You wouldn't think so. But here's what we say. Well, I'm a lot more patient and wiser now. Okay. I don't know about all that. So any proper authority. Do you have a devotion towards proper authority? Not all authority. Proper authority. That would be pleasing to God. Am I devoting myself to proper authority? That would be pleasing to God. We're making every excuse on why I don't have to respond to authority. But God, I love you with all of my heart. So you have a devotion for God in disobeying him here. God said, I'll tell you what you do. You live down here, have a devotion to others that's pleasing to me. Not a devotion to me and go on with your life. So we need a revival in proper respect and actions from kids right on up. From children right on up. I hate to get off on this again. I have no idea how you can't make a child shut up. Did you just hit your daughter on the shoulder? See, I tried to tell you that. Uh, See, he's talking to you now. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be ignorant. I just don't understand it. I don't understand. We say, okay, that's enough. Let's everybody sit down and be quiet. I don't understand why that doesn't happen. Oh, you don't know my children. They don't know me. <laughs> Why would you put up with that? Why? Oh, boy, could I? <sighs> anyway, okay. So we need a revival from little kids, not just teenagers and adults, little children. 
If we'd start there, eventually this part would die off. And hopefully we'd have some decent Christians living for God again. Not decent, I can quote Bible. There are lost people who can quote Bible. I'm talking about people in their character that's living a life devoted the way it should be that's pleasing to God. Are you that way with your parents? Are you that way with your grandparents? Are you that way with authorities that God has placed in your life? So, ladies, let's talk about you and your husband here real quick. Okay? You say, I'm not married. Whew, I'm out of that. Okay, let's do it carefully. In case you'd like these great promises in your life, which are pretty good, you have to admit, great and precious promises. It's pretty good. God said great and precious. That's, that's pretty magnanimous. That's pretty good, right? You're going to have to have the proper devotion towards your husband that's pleasing to God. Not that you think's okay. That's not even in the equation. Pleasing to God. So in other words, if God was sitting in your front room or in your kitchen, you could honestly look at him and say, I love you. No, 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 no. God, are you pleased with my devotion? We sweating bullets yet? No turn on the air conditioner? We okay? All right. Still working? Great. Wonderful. America is going to hell from the home out. Society is not the first thing that changes. The home is. The home changes because the pulpits are changing. I blame preachers. I just do. I'm sorry. That's just, no, I'm not sorry. I think that's the truth. Like it or not, a woman is to be in subjection to her husband. You know what? This is well-pleasing to God. So this down here, my devotion here, is that pleasing to you? If I'm not doing, now you guys, I'll get on you here in just a second. So before you go, yeah, I need to write this down, give it to my wife. You say, well, I don't like that then flop. You could be great in business. You can be great in, in any, and you name the subject, be great. When you meet the Lord and you be a flop in what God told you to be in, which is, go, go to, go to uh, Timothy and tie, you'll find out. Provider at home, training the next generation of young ladies, young ladies, not women, not business people. We got sidetracked and it's starting to show even in our churches. Have you ever taken a good look at the proclaimed, liberated, self-sufficient, I don't need anybody, N-O-W crowd? National Association of Women, in case you didn't know. I'm glad they didn't say National Association of Ladies because they're not. You ever noticed how big mouth they are? Pushy. Actually, man-like. You ever noticed that? And now on top of all that, they're getting tattoos, piercings. Ain't no man telling me what to do. I believe you. I absolutely believe you. I have no idea why any man would marry somebody like that. Why would you? Oh, I know, I know. So she could provide half of the finances for the home. In case you get stuck underneath a barbell when you're pressing weight, she could pick it up and move it for you. What are we doing? If you wanted a roommate, become a queer and marry a guy. 
I wanted to marry a lady. So I married a girl and trained up a child. Anyway, <laughs> hi, honey. Love you. You watching? God bless your heart. Amen. I'm devoted. Now, there are, I, I feel very sad for women because they've been misled, mistaught, and right. given all the wrong examples. And when they finally come into something like this, they look around and see you feminine ladies know how to dress, know how to act, and it's so odd to them, they take offense to it. I don't think that's necessary. Well, once you put your razor down from shaving, maybe you want to listen to me a little bit. In case you didn't know, you don't. Anyway, so whatever. If you say you believe the Bible, if you wish to lay claim to these seven promises, this is one of those, these things that must be in you and abound. And it is a devotion towards what God told me to devote. That's pleasing to him. So I can't make this up. Well, I think this is okay. Is it please? I think so. Get in your Bible and find out. Is this what God would want a woman to be towards her husband and her family? Ladies, quit guessworking it. It says so right in the Bible. You can go right there, tell you exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Okay. Now, I, by the way, I'm, I'm never going to change that. I would rather all ladies drop their jobs and go home. As long as you have kids at home, go home. Go home. You say, I can't afford it. Well, you wait till they grow up and go bad. Yeah. Then you'll see the value of what you're trying to do. Fella, you quit wanting a new car every time you turn around and new clothes all the time and run around all the time and go on vacations all the time on your pay. You could probably make ends meet if you just simply cut back down to your living style or living wage. Let's talk about the husband real quick. Got just a couple of minutes. <coughs> Husbands, you get sidetracked. We get sidetracked so easy. So God said, hey, love your wives. I think I do. As Christ, love the church. As Christ. There's your devotion. Not to God. I don't care what she says. I love the Lord. God said, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a godliness, a devotion towards those you're supposed to have that's pleasing to God. So you can't make this up as you go. Now's the time you want to do your Bible study and see if I'm telling the truth. Get online right now and bring up your phone and Google whatever you're doing. Look up all the commentaries and go, you know, I know a guy disagrees with you. That is one of the dumbest statements I ever heard. Do you know not everybody agrees with you? I am shocked. I'm absolutely shocked that not everybody agrees with me. There are people in the church that don't agree with me. You sure you're going to change? Right. So what happens here? It does not mean, fella, there's a contract. When you got married, there was no contract. This premarital contract business, well, I don't want to lose everything I've worked hard for. Lady, if that's you, run. Do not marry a bum like that. You're not his first love. God is not his first love. What he owns is his first love, and he ain't going to lose it because you don't like him anymore, which I don't know how you like a guy like that anyway. It is not an agreement. Marriage is not an agreement. Look at me. Marriage is not an agreement. Girls, look up here. I'm trying to help you before you get into problems that other people got into. Marriage is not an agreement. 
You go to my house on the refrigerator, there are two sets of Ten Commandments. One my wife made for me, one I made for her. And as long as she keeps the commandments, we get along great. Anybody really believe that? No, please don't raise your hand. No, we don't do that, okay? It's not I'll love and submit to you as long as you love and serve Christ the way you're supposed to. That's a contract. There's no such thing in the Bible. And the husband says, okay, I'll love you as Christ loved the church as long as you submit and obey me. That's your part. This is my part. 50-50. I'll bet most of you had a, a proper wedding at all and you had biblical principled vows. It was all to the other person. I will not marry a person who says, can I, can I make up my own rules? Yeah. You're not going to do it here. You say, it's my wedding. Then go have one. You're not even going to start off following the Lord? What in the world am I going to try to bless your wedding for? I'm not going to do that. So listen to me, wife. Listen to me, husband. It is not if you will, I will. It is even if you don't, I will, because I am devoted to a life to you that's pleasing to God. Not if she's not pleased with it. I'm sorry. It's a devotion to them that's pleasing to God. That's pleasing to God. Don't leave that out. That's pleasing to God. There's a lot of things in life, married or not, that are going to go awry, going to take a left-hand turn, that's going to pull the rug out, call it whatever you want. It happens. You cannot avoid it. There's a lot of things you can avoid, but you cannot avoid everything. You're supposed to go through hardships together. Supposed to go through hardships. Supposed to. Will. Have to. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, I'll just walk away. Stupid. That's in the Hebrew. Foolish. It's, well, he hurt my feelings. Oh, come on. That's it? That's it. He hurt your feelings. So you're going to stop your devotion and not be pleasing to God because your feelings got hurt. Seriously. That this row? Armando, quit it. Now, I've had husbands tell me, my wife doesn't mind me doing this. She's learned to put up with that over the years. Does that sound devoted, pleasing? So just to live with you, she had to adjust her whole life to something that was pleasing to you? We act like that's just the way I am, so that's the way it is. You ever heard of growing in the Lord? maturing. When all of us got married, fellas, we were boys. Okay, how old you were? All of us were. Part of a lady's job is to help you learn to be a godly man the way God wants. That doesn't mean you preach at him. You don't mold him into your likeness. It's to help him 
and allow him to be what God wants him to be. It's not a relationship that most of the world believes is okay today. That's not what we're talking about. Well, most of the world doesn't see anything wrong. Don't really care what the world thinks. Honestly, I really don't. And I don't think God's real impressed with it either. But it is devotion in the relationship which is in you and abounding that God would be pleased with. I think he is. Well, let's just check it out. Let's see if that's what God talks about. So godliness in our text has nothing to do directly with God, but is the relationship which God has given to us that I'm devoted to that is pleasing to him. Is it starting to make sense? Oh, good, I hope it does. So what does it mean in the relationship? That's a good question we'll talk about it next time. Father, thank you so much.